You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, you're listening to the Classic Auto Mall podcast, broadcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Classic Auto Mall is a world-class facility conveniently located just an hour west of Philadelphia on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. The building is over 336,000 square feet and full of over 650 classics for sale and 300 barn finds on display. Check out all the inventory on the website, ClassicAutomall.com. If you have any questions for our host or guest, email us at podcast at ClassicAutomall.com during the live broadcast times of 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturdays. Now, on to the show with our host, the president of Classic Automall, Stuart Howden. Good morning, Steve, and good morning, listeners. Uh, glad to have you here at the Classic Auto Mall podcast uh, this fine Saturday morning. This is show number twelve, so we've got twelve in the in the books. Uh, well, eleven in the books, and hopefully twelve in the books if we can figure out our technical difficulties. Sorry for any of that. And uh, we've had an amazing week. Uh, the consignments just keep rolling in. It's just phenomenal. Um, we've got uh, we're at nine hundred eighty four consignments for the year, and uh, that's you know. I just can't believe how many that uh, we're getting in on a weekly basis. And uh, when when you think back to where we started uh, 2018, uh, we were taking in probably two or three consignments every week. Maybe. Maybe we were that busy. Maybe we weren't. Uh, but uh, we've been able to um, – uh, excuse me just a second. <laughs> no wonder I could hear that. Uh, so – Taking in all these consignments, what is the process? So we bring them in. We do photographs of the car. We put them up on the lift and do undercarriage photographs. Oh, we write a full description on the car. Uh, we do all of these things, uh, and they take time. So we sometimes get a little behind, which we are now. And then our lift broke this week uh, where we take the undercarriage pictures. So we popped a pulley or a cord or a cable or something. So all of a sudden, uh, we're without a lift. Uh, so it slowed us down a little bit, but hey, we're resilient and we figure out ways to, uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they like to say. And, uh, we were able to, uh, figure that out. So let's get on with the show. First of all, I want to give a shout out to my uh, buddies down in uh, Punta Gorda, Florida with Premier Auction Group. They have an auction today, a classic car auction down on the west coast of Florida. They have over 400 cars on consignment. They were, the auction was yesterday and today. If you go to their website, premierauctiongroup.com, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, auctiongroup.com, uh, you'll be able to watch the auction live, I think, starting about 9.45 a.m. Eastern time and then uh, rolling on for the rest of the day till about 4 o'clock or so. So if you get a chance, you can check that out online after you listen to our complete show till 10 o'clock, and then you can go catch them. And uh, check them out. They've got some great cars. And if you're down in that area, sneak on over to Punta Gorda. It's a beautiful part of the world. And uh, they put on a great auction. They've been doing it for about five or six years. I think they do two a year. And uh, very, very uh, uh, well put on and successful auction. Uh, some of the new consignments that we've gotten in this week, Steve was just pointing out, we've got an interesting one that I didn't have on my list, the 2006 SRT8 Magnum Wagon. How cool are those? You know, those are uh, super rare. Super yeah. rare. You don't see them hardly anymore. I mean, you didn't see a lot of them to begin with, but uh, this one's got 43,000 original miles on it, and uh, it's been well-maintained. It's, of course, black, which is a great color for those. I mean, that's that's the right color, right? And it's got upgraded wheels, which are beautiful. Yeah, they really are, which is not always the case, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of times they uh, – 
you know, you you get these cars and somebody puts a different kind of wheel on there or whatever, and it, it looks better or it looks worse. Uh, this particular case, it looks much better. Sometimes the stock wheels, though, are pretty cool. I mean, mm-hmm. they've made some really cool wheels over the years. So uh, so that's one of the new inventory that's come in uh, here recently. Uh, we also got a 10th anniversary, 79 Pontiac Trans Am. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So, you know, the prices on those have gone up just a smidgen. I told you I sold mine for $1,600, <laughs> and it was stock with 66,000 miles. Right. $1,600. Yeah, $1,600. Wow. So you could count that out and, you know, one, you could have that in your wallet, right? I mean, that would be enough. No. You could keep $1,600 in your wallet, yes. right? If it's all $100 bills, not if it's 20s or 10s and 5s and 1s. It's, you know, not, it's not much money and it probably didn't really make a difference when I bought the Grand National, <laughs> right. but I'm kicking myself for 30 years. For selling it at that price point. I think I bought my Trans Am. My first Trans Am was, I think, $4,200 or something in 1978 or 77 or whatever year it was uh, that we, we had that car. But this one's a 79 Trans Am. Uh, it's got uh, – it's silver, of course, as all the anniversary ones were. Uh, it's got 17,000 actual miles on it. So uh, now it does have the Olds 403, not the, not the 400 uh, that would have been the most desirable engine of the era. And, of course, in 79 was the last year you could get the 400. And also the last year for a four-speed, or at least the last year for some period of time for a manual transmission, I should say, instead of four-speed. Because four-speed nowadays doesn't mean the same thing. No. You say four-speed to the kids, and they say, well, that could be an automatic, or that could be, you know. Right. I mean, my, my new truck is a 10-speed. Wow. <laughs> and that, you would think, was a bicycle. You know, so back in the days, a 10-speed was a bicycle. Four-speed was a 400, uh, you know, a four on the floor. Uh, an automatic was a three-speed usually. Most of the turbo hydromatic right. 300s or the turbo hydromatic 400s were all four-speed or a three-speed automatic. So, and nowadays with the fuel mileage and all that, they have a gear for every RPM, I guess. So we've come a long way. We, <laughs> maybe too far. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? 2020 gears? <laughs> I don't know. And uh, of course, the, you know, the feature that I hate the most, and there's a segment I want to do at the end of the show today about things that we're very grateful in that that are in cars these days, such as my wife will tell you heated seats and cup holders and remote locks and stuff like that, that she loves. And, and I, I get it. I understand that heated seats are addictive. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. They are. they are really addictive. I mean, it could be summertime and I think, well, I could turn that heated seat on, you know? Uh, so anyway, I digress from that. Uh, we just got in a 59, uh, Impala, which we hadn't gotten many of those in. Those are, Kind of interesting cars. You know, 58 was a one-year-only body style for Impala. So you went from 55, 6, and 7, the Bel Airs and all that. Then the 58 was a one-year-only body style. So imagine the tooling and the cost to, to build a car for one year. Of course, they sold – I don't think they sold as many of them as the Tri-5s. But then the 59s came out, and they were completely different. They had the really cool tail end. And uh, uh, we've got one that just came in. Uh, it's in a, a shade of green that I don't think I've ever seen. I'm not sure that it's factory. It's called, um, well, I don't know what it's called. Well, they call it the Jolly Green Giants. <laughs> hmm. I don't think that was the actual uh, code name for it from uh, the factory. Although, you know, Mopar had some interesting color names back in sure the day. Did. So, uh, but anyway, it's a 59 Impala, uh, two door hardtop, uh, really a neat looking car. And like I said, we just don't get many of those. We also got a really interesting barn find, uh, 1970 Corvette, LS5 454, uh, red, uh, four speed manual trans, all numbers matching. Uh, so says the consigner. Um, it's got the T tops and the paint is, 
is barn find condition. It's, you know, it's got some chips and cracks and checks and all that good stuff in it. But uh, it's really a cool car because it's really, it was found in North Carolina. Um, and the, you know, the gentleman who found it just bought it and thought, oh, what, do you, you know, it's the conundrum. What do you do? You know, you find this car in barn find condition. You know, your, your thought is, oh, I want to make it pretty and nice and shiny. So I want to paint it. But the value sometimes can be in barn finds. And when we see at auctions and here at Classic Auto Mall where barn finds sell for close to what a restored one does. And, and I don't quite understand the logic, although mine is not to question why. Uh, I, all I am is to present them here. And if you like to buy it and you want to pay whatever it is for that, then go for it. So that's, that's your choice. That's what's amazing about this hobby is that you can do what you want. Uh, although the purist might get onto you if you do certain things, but you know, it's like playing blackjack at a casino. You know, the guy says next to you, that was my card or yeah. right. <laughs> no, right. it didn't. That was my card. You know, I had a gut feeling. Doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Doesn't matter if the book says don't hit on 12 or whatever the rule is. I don't know much about. That stuff. Although we've got a casino coming across the corner from us, so sure do. I guess I better learn about that stuff if I want to go over there and act like you know I'm you know know what I'm doing over there. Right. We also got a '69 uh, Yanko Camaro clone with a 454 as well, and it's really nicely done. It's triple black, not a convertible. It's got a vinyl black vinyl top and black interior and black exterior paint, and the 454 with a three speed automatic. So. Um, no, no, all, all the purists, uh, you gotta have a fork. No, you know what? You got whatever's enjoyable for you. I say it, look, if, if it makes you happy, then, then that's all that counts. And if you, if you like an automatic transmission over a manual, I can't hardly blame you because if you're in a parade in a, in a four speed manual, you're, <laughs> it's a miserable thing. I'm sorry. You know, it's one of those things that, uh, at the end of the day, uh, comfort, uh, trumps a lot of things when you get to be my age. As you get older, you realize that, you know what? I'd like to be a little more comfortable and hence the, uh, uh, heated seats and cup holders and all that good stuff. So, uh, another one we got in was a 1934 Ford one and a half ton flatbed truck, a model BB. And those are really cool. And it's got the offy heads and it's got the open engine compartment and it's black and it's cool and it's just, one of those fantastic uh, trucks that uh, you hardly see anymore. And uh, we've got to take a break. But when we return, we're going to talk to our special guest today, Harry Hurst, who's a well-known photographer and writer and involved with a lot of different things automotive. And uh, he's uh, local to the area during the good season. I think he goes to Florida when the season shifts, which I don't blame him and I'm jealous of because I'm complaining about how cold it is. But when we return, we'll have Harry here in the studio and uh, we'll talk some car stuff. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we are back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast live from the Classic Auto Mall studios and beautiful and sunny today, downtown Morgantown, Pennsylvania, with a special guest in the studio this morning, uh, noted author, photographer, uh, all-around car guy, Mr. Harry Hurst. Harry, good morning. Thank you for... Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, we met uh, a couple, three weeks ago with mutual friends or a month ago. Or I don't know, longer. It's, you know, time seems to go weirdly fast and, you know, <laughs> the, the older we get. Uh, I told my son one time, I said, you know, it's amazing how fast a month goes. And he said, you know, I didn't understand what you meant until I started having to pay rent. <laughs> that certainly does. It. So my first question is the most important question I'll ask you all day. All right. Any relationship to the shifter? No. Uh, I, it, it, it is funny you mentioned that. I, I grew up in uh, in Florida. Right. And, uh, and then I moved up here. And, of course, uh, Hearst Industries was – Right over in Warminster. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and uh, uh, and uh, when I was shooting races in the uh, in the sixties and seventies, I did have the opportunity at one time to you know run into Linda Vaughn. Oh yes, and uh, and so I walk up. I'm a snot nosed kid of nineteen, <laughs> right? And I walk up, you know, to the immortal Linda Vaughn and say, uh, "Hi, my name is Harry Hurst. <laughs> I think we might be related." <laughs> <laughs> and she looks right at me and says, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I met her a couple, three weeks ago when I was in Chattanooga, the yeah. Concord down there, and a fascinating person. Yeah. And, you know, what a career she's had. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah she is. And uh, uh, I just recently did uh, a book uh, on the 1970 Road Atlanta Can-Am right. uh, with my photos, and I and I had photos of her in there, and right. I wanted to get some people's comments, and so I uh, – emailed uh, uh, Jennifer Revson, who right. is Peter Revson's uh, uh, sister, and uh, said, hey, you know, uh, I, I understand you guys are friends. Can you give me a quote uh, that I could use? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it surprised me the the level of admiration people have for her, for her hard work uh, and, and her intelligence. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody says, yeah, you know, you can look at how she looks, of sure. course, but uh, she is probably the most business savvy person right. you will ever run into right. in racing well and such an ambassador to racing yeah. as well too and you know that goes a long way and like you said just a pretty face is a pretty face that's that's great and that's wonderful and that's all about racing you know getting a kiss from the pretty girl when yeah. you're in. you know what a wonderful thing but uh yeah it was interesting to meet her and she's quite the character and got us a great sense of humor and yeah. uh we we had some good visits when we were down there in chattanooga so Road Atlanta is sounds to me like one of your favorite tracks, and it's certainly one of my favorite because I grew up in East Tennessee, and we didn't have any road racing courses, so right. we had to go to Road Atlanta. And, of course, Turn 5 was our preferred spot to sit at at Road Atlanta. You could see them coming down the hill up through the S and then accelerating up over the hill, and it was really amazing to watch from there. What got you started What in this hobby and, and taking pictures and, and, and specifically Road Atlanta? Well, uh, 
you know, I grew up in Tampa and, uh, you know, if, you could say, you know, the Southeast was not exactly a hotbed of, <laughs> of road racing activity, as right. you mentioned. However, uh, at that time, uh, you know, Florida had something that no other place in the United States had. It had a race that attracted international drivers and teams. Uh, in the 1950s, road racing was done by the SCCA that had a ban on professional racing. So none of the European drivers had any interest, frankly, in coming sure. over here, you mm-hmm. know, unless they got paid under the table. Right. Uh, and, uh, uh, but Sebring was a, was a, uh, sanctioned by the, uh, AAA at the time. And, uh, and, and they got the international teams, the Jaguar, Ferrari, all of that. So if, if you wanted to see Fangio and mm-hmm. Moss and, and guys like that, you had to come, uh, to Florida. Right. Well, we, uh, having a house in Tampa, uh, you know, and, uh, uh you'd be surprised how many relatives, uh, you know, are your best friend. <laughs> and, and we had, uh, this husband and wife that would come down, uh, every March and stay with us right. because they were huge Sterling Moss fans. Right. And they would go from there to, uh, to Sebring. And around the dinner table, it was as my grandmother said, Oh, Sterling Moss and, and this and that, you know, Oh, I just hate that stuff. You know, she, the rest of the family hated it, but I was just, I was transfixed sure. by it. Sure. And, uh, when I was, um, 16, uh, uh, my, uh, actually, no, that would, I would have been 14 years old. My dad was an accountant and, uh, of course, Sebring is during the height of tax season, but he right. comes home Saturday yeah, around uh, two o'clock and says, okay, everybody get your coats on. We're going to Sebring. And oh, I wow. went, oh my God. Oh. So we got in the car. It was 1965. Wow. If you remember, that was the year of the great downpour. Oh, it yeah. Rained yeah. Like I remember buckets. pictures from it. And uh, we got in the car. We got there right after uh, the rain stopped. And I could barely see, but I could see the chaparrals and four GT40s oh. and, you know, the cars I had only been reading about sure. in magazines sure. until then. Sure. And so, uh, you know, then I started going with friends in 66 and 67. I became a flagman, you know, in 69. Uh, but I didn't really like being a flagman, and they didn't particularly think I was qualified as well. <laughs> uh, but I took photographs while I did it, and mm-hmm. they happened to get into the hands of the uh, press officer uh, at Sebring, John right. Smiley. Right. And uh, he said, hey, would you shoot the race for me? Oh, my god! And I said, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> so at the age of 19, I became a track photographer at Sebring and uh, got you know on-track access, wow. uh, you know, hot – you know, back then – you didn't think of the the pits as being hot. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody, you know, was, you know, you, you can't believe how crude the safety requirements sure, were. Sure. I mean, they had safety requirements, but they certainly weren't uh, uh, up to today's t- standard. At, no. At, well, there was close. For, yeah. for example, there was no speed limit on the pit lane. Right. right. So, you know, you would, they would blare a, a an air horn when a car was coming in. <laughs> so you had to really pay attention to right. what, what you were doing. And look up and the cars would come in and, uh, you know, very fast, come to a screeching halt. They get worked on. And then, of course, all of us photographers were in front of the car, you know, taking pictures right. and stuff. You had to be very, very aware of when the driver jumped into the car and when the headlights came on, you better get out of the way because right. they did not care who was in front of sure them. sure and i mean luckily nobody I, I never saw anybody actually get hit so i, I did hear of some but right. uh, uh 
uh, it was it was dangerous. Yeah. It was only two lanes wide. Right. There was the pit lane, and there was the entry and exit lane. And the cars weren't as technologically advanced back then either. <laughs> so, yeah. so they didn't have the great brakes or all that. Right. Plus, and the other thing about Sebring was it was an old what airport in yeah. the middle of nowhere, wasn't right. it? Uh, yeah. abs- even for Floridians, it was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. They'd never heard of it. No. They even had any idea. No. Now, luckily, you weren't a photographer in 1971 at the Indy 500 because the guy in the 71 Challenger who yeah. slid it sideways into the uh, scaffolding. Right. The scaffolding. <laughs> and yeah. luckily, I, I don't think anybody was very hurt, but uh, hurt is hurt, right? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, one of the cool things and one of the things that I learned about you here recently was this wonderful Facebook page that you have called yeah. Glory Days of Racing. Yeah. My goodness. The images are just, oh, my God. Talk about memories. How'd that get started? Well, you know, it. I, I had started it oh, – Five years ago, I, I had long, when I when I first started, uh, you know, really concentrating on doing some of the books and selling prints and going to the races and stuff. And so I started this Facebook page, and I would occasionally put some of the photos up, but you know, I didn't honestly, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on. It. Right. Well, you mentioned we have a house in Florida, so you know, we went, we were down at the house in Florida uh, at last year, and uh, COVID comes, mm-hmm. and. Honestly, you know, we didn't have anything to do. Right. I mean, we we could go out and play golf in the afternoon, but right. that was it. Right. Well, I, I had all of my photos with me in my scanner. I had taken it down because that was going to be my job for, you know, that time we were there. So I started scanning these pictures, which honestly, I had many of them I had never looked at in 50 years. Wow. I had never scanned them. I'd never done anything with them. And so I started scanning them. And putting them up on on this Glory Days of Racing right. Facebook page. And since I don't have anything to do, I'm putting three or four up a day <laughs> and, and such. And, and, and then I thought, well, I'm going to write a little narrative for each one, right. you know. And, and so I kind of try and, you know, bring people back to that time and place. You know, here's what it was like. And, you know, here's maybe this incident like – Donahue hitting Pedro Rodriguez right. in 1971 at Sebring uh, and, you know, things like that, you know, and uh, all of a sudden it starts exploding. Right. And, you know, I'm, I go from 500 people to a thousand and then 2,500 <laughs> and then 5,000. And just uh, a week ago, uh, we passed 15,000. Wow. We're now, uh, last night I looked at it, it was 15,973. And so I'm sure this morning it's over sure. 16. Yeah. And we'll probably be 20,000 by the end of the year. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. We, we found the same thing is that you, you start posting things and you kind of lose track of where you are and what you've done and how many you've posted. And, uh, all of of a sudden it gains traction. So when we return, uh, we're going to talk about something uh, that you've done here that's a little closer to home here, uh, that uh, involvement with the uh, Simeo Museum, which is in downtown Philly, which is an amazing place. So when we return with Harry Hurst, we'll talk about all things automotive and uh, maybe some things about little old Morgantown. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. 
It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we are back. Oh, gosh, I sent it. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm learning this as we go, folks, so just bear with me. Uh, anyway, we're having fun with it. We're talking to our, our buddy Harry Hurst, who's a phenomenal photographer and writer and has a couple of books out. And one of them you did, or a couple of them you did about Sebring, but the mm-hmm. most recent one was called The 12 Hours of Sebring 1970. Is that right. correct? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, uh, uh, I've done an updated version right. of, of the 1970 book. Actually, that was my very first book that I first published in, uh, 2004. Right. And, uh, that came about, I was, uh, I had an advertising agency and, uh, as you know, you know, we kind of went through some rough times in around 2000 or so. Yeah. And, and it kind of disrupted my agency right. uh, considerably. It had been extremely successful up till then. And, uh, and again, I was sitting around with time on my hands and I said, you know, I, 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 I'd like to do something with these photos. I had a lot of photos of the 1970 race, which, uh, your listeners may remember is, uh, the race that Steve McQueen, uh, with his co-driver, Peter Revson. And I want to give most of the credit here to Peter Revson. Sure. Uh, but, uh, they almost won the race outright, right. driving a little Porsche 908 against the 917s and the 512s, the factory Ferraris and the Gulf Porsches. Wow. What, what, what set them apart to, to, to be that competitive with that car? It, it, well, first of all, the, the 908 was a, was a very strong automobile. Sure. I mean, it was, uh, you know, the year before Porsche in 1969, they had a fleet of them and right. they thought they were going to win the whole thing against the Lola uh, Chevrolets. Right. So, I mean, it was, it was a pretty quick car. And, uh, despite having two very long, uh, runways, uh, for straightaways, Sebring is actually more conducive to, to slower speed cars. Right. Uh, so you don't need the high speed like at Le Mans and right. Spa. And, um, uh, and it's, and it's rock solid, right. very, very reliable car. So, uh, and it was well prepared. And, and then they had the luck that, uh, uh, both the 917 and the 512 were b- relatively brand new cars. I mean, they, not they, well sorted, maybe. They, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So by attrition, all of a sudden, uh, you know, <laughs> in the last hour, they find themselves in the lead. Wow. And, uh, there was a Ferrari in second place. 
And uh, uh, the Ferrari team manager goes over to uh, Mario Andretti, who was about ready to get into his private plane and fly back up here to Nazareth because right. he had a uh, Sebring is run on a Saturday, and he had he had a sprint car race in Nazareth on Sunday, so he was going to fly of back. Course. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they said, "Hey, look, you know, would you get into the second place car and see if you can chase down, uh, you know, these guys? We right. think you can." And so, you know, he wasn't going to do it. Yeah, you know, he, right. he's, you know, he had no real interest in doing it. He wasn't getting paid any more for it. And, sure. um, uh, but as he says, uh, the loudspeaker guy kept saying, Steve McQueen's in the lead. Steve McQueen's in the lead. And it pissed him off so much. <laughs> I hope I can say that. You can say that. Okay. Uh, because, uh, it, it was really Peter Revson who, right. who was the reason they were in the lead, sure. not Steve McQueen, <laughs> but you know, the glamour. And so he gets in uh, to the number, the second place Ferrari. And he, as he told me, he said, I drove like a man possessed. Right. And he was doing lap times at night at Sebring that were quicker than the other two drivers had qualified wow. the car wow. in the day. Wow. Right. So he's eaten up the time. Right. Gets down to the last two minutes. Right. His, his warning light for his fuel reserve comes on. <laughs> right. He knows he can't go any, you know, he, right. he won't make it to the end. He dashes into the pits. They, he has to be out of the car that the, the Ferrari team manager grabs him by the epaulets and pulls him out of the car. They slash him gas in, gets back in, zooms out. Peter Revson's passed him again at this point and he chases him down in the last few seconds and wins by 23 seconds. Wow. Now this is a 12 hour race yeah. and he's won by 23 seconds. Wow. Right. Well, most of those were won by minutes and hours. Oh, maybe, sure. Maybe. <laughs> no, no drama generally, <laughs> yeah. you know, at the end. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it was, it was considered to be the greatest Sebring of all sure, time. Sure. And, and I was lucky I had a really good coverage of it right. in my photograph. So I decided in 2004 that I was, I was going to do a, a photo book. I wanted to do something cinematic in the way a storyboard would be. So you would look through the photos and the photos would tell the story. And I would do a little bit of brief introduction to it. And I made uh, black and white Xerox copies, uh, and, and I sent it around to people to look at, you know, and I sent it to Dan Gurney and people like that, you know, look at. Well, um, um, uh, one guy got back to me, uh, and, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, anyway, his advice was what you need to get other people's recollections besides your own. Right. And I thought, Oh, wow. That's, yeah, yeah. That's because I didn't want to write the history of the race. That's been done. Yeah. And kind of boring, not right. boring, but uh, done. Yeah. And, and he said, uh, you know, you should get other people's recollections. So I sent it around. I sent it to Dan. I sent it, you know, everybody I could think of, you know, that I could get in touch with, in, including Mario and, uh, and got their recollections. And it was funny because I sent it to Mario pretty much at the very end after a lot of people's stuff was in there and the book was pretty much done. And, and honestly, I didn't think, you know, I sent it, the only address I had was his fan club right. up there in, 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 uh, <laughs> certainly goes right to him. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I said, well, that's over. I, and, but I don't really care, you right. know. And anyway, two days later, I get a phone call. I swear to God. Hi, this is Mario. <laughs> There's so much goddamn wrong with this book. I don't know where to start. You know, like that. He's, he's like shouting at me. He said, I was doing two minutes and 34 seconds, you know, not, you know, 238. You know, I mean, he knew every detail. Wow. 
I mean, his his recollection was astounding. It's amazing what those guys remember and recall. And yeah. Laps and corners and how they hit them. And like a golfer, remember every shot of a round. Yeah. You know, it's pretty amazing. So, uh, and so, so he signed off on it and gave his stamp he of signed, approval. I mean, we spent quite a bit of time going through the whole thing. And luckily, I record everything. Right. And uh, so I had it all, you know, I could get all the details. And then he was kind enough to do the forward to the book and wow. uh, and sign some limited editions that we had at the time. And uh, he was very, very gracious. Wow. He was a How wonderful cool. guy. How cool is that? Yeah, That's awesome. That- I mean, the people that you got to hang around with and talk to is just amazing. And, yeah. And so do you have from any period or era, do you have a favorite race car? Favorite race car. Wow. Well, you know, of course, it would be real easy to say the Porsche 917. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, and we're going to talk about this mm-hmm. in a little bit, you know, um, the thing, uh, you know, I, I saw them race and, and I tell you, there's nothing more thrilling than to be on at the start finish line at Daytona at two o'clock in the morning as a Porsche 917 <laughs> goes by literally feet away at 200 miles an hour downshifting right. as it goes into the infield. Yeah, that's, that's pretty. That's Nirvana. That's right? pretty <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hard to beat that. Uh, but uh, uh, when I got involved with the Simeon, they of course have the Hippie 917, right. and I got very familiar with the construction details. Of right. the 917, and and I saw why there were only a very few, a handful of drivers that would get in that car. Just too much car for some. Right? Well, and and there's no car there. Right. I right. mean, you've got you know a massive 600 horsepower engine in the back, and you know tubular framing and very thin fiberglass, and your feet are sticking out in front of the tires yeah. in the front. Yeah, people don't realize that 600 horsepower then. With a car that weighs less than 2,000 pounds versus a 600 horsepower car that weighs 4,000 pounds is a different animal yeah. completely. Yeah. You know, yes, we have those today, but back then they were crude. They were, oh, very, you know, not very safety conscious. Not uh, at all. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's a miracle that not more drivers oh, got killed absolutely. in that car. I mean, the Ford GT, uh, if you talk about the iconic car of that period, I think the Ford GT is hands sure. down the car. Well, and what Ford did by resurrecting in the Ford GT, not GT, 40 in 2005, 2006 yeah. was pretty amazing. I mean, you couldn't imagine Porsche, you know, building a 917 and making it streetable in 2005 or 2006. Yeah. It just wouldn't have been something they would have done. Yeah. Uh, so it was interesting that Ford did that and, care- and capitalized on the heritage of it. Well, and the thing that they introduced, and I think this is something that's overlooked, uh, you know, we've talked about the 917. Uh, you know, there was no consideration given to driver safety with the 917. Sure. And this is in 1969 when it was introduced. Well, when the Ford GT was first built in, in 1964, uh, you know, it was a steel tub, right. not aluminum. Uh, and they did that for a number of reasons. But, you know, one of the, con- uh, there, there was a great deal of consideration given to safety in the, in driver safety. I think Ford Motor Company realized if we're going to be doing this for the PR value, the last thing we need <laughs> is to have a driver get killed. Sure. And so there was a lot of consideration given. I mean, it, it had a, you know, a, a four point harness. Right. Uh, and in fact, one of the very first times that a harness was, was installed in the car, they put roll bars in some of them. Were were later retrofitted, uh, but uh, you know it, they really did put forth a great deal of effort to make sure that the driver was safe. Sure, and that then started permeating uh, all of racing. Right, and then Jackie Stewart started getting really involved and saying, "Look." You can't have race courses with trees on the side of the road. Doesn't you know, I mean, yeah. that's yeah. crazy. 
Well, you know, and if you watch stuff and, uh, from the historical side of uh, racing and, and all of that, especially on uh, YouTube and also on Netflix nowadays, there seems to be a lot of racing type things and you realize that the danger of it. And then the, the thing that's most amazing to me is watching the old races back in the day when a driver would have a crash and fellow drivers would stop and help him. Yeah. Can you imagine, I mean, people, the unselfishness of that. Well, yeah, and I mean, how many of them, you know, literally saved these guys from dying? Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, the car is on fire. I mean, uh, Brett Lunger, you know, who lives down in Baltimore, mm-hmm. you know, saved Nicky Lauda. Right. You know, I yeah. mean, literally, if it hadn't been for Brett. Yeah, Nicky would not have survived. And what a what a later career he had too with yeah. Mercedes and and everything that he did and such an amazing uh, uh, talent. And the, what's your take on the current state of racing? Do you do you like it? Do you, is it hard to follow for you? Or? Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll watch the Formula One uh, every now and I I I think it's it's incredible to watch the cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, the speed. I, I went uh, one of the times I have shot races since the glory days was uh, I went to the very first uh, Indy Formula One race. What was that? 2000, and I think. 2001 or 2000, two, maybe, somewhere in there. I was there too. I, and It uh, was pretty amazing. And and I had an analog film camera, right. you know, and, and so I'm out there, you know, shooting the Formula One cars as they go by and stuff, you know, and and uh, I get my film, and of course, the thing about film is you can you don't know what you're getting until you get home, right? Yeah. And so I get home, and here I've got roll after roll of a rear tire, a front nose, you know, I'm miss- a blur. I'm missing the car yeah. entirely. Well, that's the thing that people don't realize with Formula One cars until you go to a race. It's like drag racing, how fast they can go from point A to point God. B. It's just it's or how, how fast they can stop. And I get up and watch the Formula One Sunday mornings as well too, and. Uh, I enjoy that. But my favorite race, back to favorite race cars, I always liked the 935 Porsches. That was mm. the era that I grew up in with, yeah. the, with the, all the crazy Whittington brothers and Danny well, Ungaius yeah. and, and, uh, you know, Moretti and, and all of those guys that rode Atlanta. That was the, you know, era that I enjoyed the most. But. And how about the John Greenwood? Corvette? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those were for I, <laughs> I, I was at uh, Daytona 75. Right. And, uh, and he had the spirit of Sebring there. How cool. And, was that? and <laughs> you know, and you have the, you know, the Porsche just going around yeah, yeah. and then this thing comes <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a monster God, it was I, that's what I love so much about racing that I miss is that all the cars sound different you know that's the well, beauty of the historic and, races and, and you talk about modern day I mean my uh, I wonder honestly you know I mean Racing today, especially Formula One, is is funded by the manufacturers. Sure. I mean, and once you lose that money, you lose Formula One. Yeah. Well, all of the manufacturers have have announced they're not going to be making internal combustion engines. Yeah, so they say. So we'll talk about that when we come back. All We've right. got to take a break, but we will we will carry on for an unprecedented third session with <laughs> Harry Hurst when we return. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. 
I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearm liquidation service at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we are back with the Classic Auto Mall radio show podcast live from Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Only live if you happen to be listening between 9 a.m., 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday morning, December the 4th, blah, blah, blah. So we are talking to Harry Hurst, and we normally just do two segments with our guests, but we're having so much fun talking about cars. (laughs) So we're going to do a three-hour Joe Rogan. So everybody, we we may go over to the McDonald's afterwards and just sit there (laughs) and keep talking. So if you want to join us at McDonald's, we'll uh, we'll buy you a cup of coffee and we'll keep jibber-jabbering about jibber-jabbers. So we were talking about the 59 Corvette, and that led us into a bunch of other things. But uh, what was interesting was uh, you had a little interesting take on that as well, too. Yeah, you, you had talked about the uh, uh, you know that uh, Corvette being a barn find, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I, and I find it rather amusing today. You know, I go, you know, to some of the auctions and stuff, and I and I see these cars with, literally with the hay and stuff. You know, you used to see them over at Hershey all the time, <laughs> right, right. but they weren't necessarily getting a premium for those, cars. right? And now, you know, they're they're charging, as you say, as much as a restored car. It's amazing. Well, I I had the great honor uh of meeting dr fred simeon back in the in the mid 1990s and uh at that time uh, fred uh as many of your listeners may know fred was a uh, philadelphia neurosurgeon probably one of the top neurosurgeons in the world sure uh certainly the, the he was actually voted by his peers as being the busiest physician in the united states wow uh he would do eight uh, spinal procedures a day Jeez. every day and and but that was just how he works. Right. That's just his, his intensity and level. Sure, and, yeah. yeah. Well, at the same time, of course, he was building one of the world's greatest automotive collections, mm. and it has been recognized now as such. Uh, but when I met him in in 1995, he, he had his Aston Martin DBR1 uh, out at the Philadelphia Vintage Grand Prix, and I was helping put that on and. You know, I looked at it and said, wow, that's a really nice replica because who? Nobody had one. (laughs) Yeah. Who in the world would ever think that a DBR1 is here at Philadelphia, right? Well, Michael Furman, a great photographer, was was next to me and he said, oh, no, that's not a replica. That's the real deal. And I said, oh, come on, Michael. And he said, no, uh, Fred Simeon owns that. And uh, so I, I met Fred. And I started uh, developing uh, this uh, relationship with him since I had an ad agency. He had all the cars in a nondescript two-story garage downtown Philadelphia. And uh, he uh, uh, wanted to, you know, start having people come in. So I helped him, uh, you know, show everything. Well, the hallmark of, of the Simeon collection is that the cars are in uh, as-raced, unrestored condition. Uh, they're beautiful that way, too. They're I beautiful think. that way. Yeah. Well, at the time... Uh, 
you know, people would look at these and they would say, well, why doesn't he clean them up? Why doesn't he paint them? It still has the chips on them and everything. Why don't you have them restored? And Fred would say, no, no, no. These are historically important automobiles. And any restoration, anything you do to, to alter the patina the way it is, you're detracting from it. And he uses the analogy of furniture, which sure. if you know, if you have a beautiful piece of antique furniture that's worth a lot of money, you refinish it, you've destroyed yeah, it. Yeah, you destroyed it. No, no value whatsoever. Well, at the time, nobody adopted that philosophy. Right. He I was mean, an outlier. He yeah. was absolutely an outlier. Today, you have a preservation class at almost every concour in the United States. Absolutely. And people now, as you say, you mm-hmm. know, cars, uh, you know, have that value. And I, I really do give the credit entirely to Dr. Simeon because he went through a lot of abuse mm-hmm. from some very famous people. Sure. Well, and if you look at even back in early 2000s, uh, the price of a race car, like you'd see a 935 or a 917 come up for auction and they wouldn't bring anything. Yeah. They would, they wouldn't even get a bid. They'd have a high reserve on them, maybe a million bucks back then or, or whatever the number was and nobody would be interested. Right. And then of course the vintage racing started happening. Guys like Dr. Fred Simeon, who by the way, if you haven't been to his place, it's amazing. Uh, it's in downtown or I say downtown Philly. It's on Norwich Drive in, in actually in Philadelphia. Uh, if you go to his, uh, website at simeomuseum.org, S-I-M-E-O-N-E museum.org, and check it out. It's it's staggering how, how cool that place is. I you know I um, I remember the first time I went through when it was in the garage over uh, in uh, uh, close to the hospital uh, where he had it so he could walk over uh, when he wasn't uh, in surgical procedures. Right. And um, and I look in and I see oh my god a DJ. <gasps> A CJ. <laughs> oh my heavens, a Testarossa Ferrari? A real one. <laughs> and a Ford Mark IV? I mean, they, how many Ford? They only made 10 chassis right. and only four of them actually raced at Le Mans in 1967. And he's got one of them. Yeah. I mean, an amazing collection. And they're so, they're, they're presented in just kind of period correct look. So you can easily like walk past something and then go, wait yeah. a minute. What is that? Yeah. You know, that's an ama- that's a car because, and there's so many of them that are just so amazing, including the Cobra Daytona, which is, yeah. you know, arguably is valuable, except for maybe the Ferrari GTO is any car out there. I mean, well, actually there, there are a couple of cars in the collection that people aren't. Uh, as aware of the value because sure. they just simply never, ever come on the market. The Ferrari GTO, I think, frankly, they made 39 GTOs. Yeah, which is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> why Why are they bringing you know, the money they're bringing? 40, when 50, when yeah. the Pontoon 250 right. that he has, I believe they only made 19 right. of those. And a prettier and, car, in my opinion. And me too. I had the yeah. Strombecker slot car when I was a kid. That was I lusted after that car. Yeah. Why is that bringing more than a GTO? And essentially, it's the same car. Car underneath, right, right. You know that's right. why that you know you you, you mentioned Daytona. Mm-hmm. The Daytona only was able to be built because Ferrari had it made an exemption in the rules, so that they could use the same drivetrain on the two on the pontoon two fifty right. open sports car. They could put a, a, a enclosed body on it and run it in the GT class. And they could count all the chassis that had been built before right. to be homologated. Right. Yeah, and that's what GTO stands for, right. Gran Turismo well. Homologato. Right. And, um, uh, and, and that's the same loophole then that Carroll Shelby used 
to let Pete Brock build the body on the on the Cobra Daytona coupe. Oh, that's fantastic! And, and that was the only. And, and then, of course, you know, Shelby did what he wanted to do. He went out and kicked <laughs> kicked Ferrari's ass, exactly, you know, and won and won the the manufacturer's yeah. championship in 1965. And for those of you who don't know, homologation means that the manufacturers were required by the racing organization at the time to build a certain amount of cars. Usually, it was 200 or 500 or whatever that number. Normally, I guess yeah. 500 was one. It was big on the rally cars and the race cars and all of. Yeah, I think in the case of the GT there, it, it was, it was lower, you know, sure. 50, right, maybe, right. or something, but still. You, you had know, to build them, yeah. they had to all be built and certified right. or whatever they right. do. And, and of course, course, when they did the, the 917 and the 512, they had to do the same thing, but right. only 25 chassis, but the famous photos, <laughs> you know, of the 9, 25 917s, <laughs> and of course the joke being, you know, that the first five were real cars and, <laughs> and, the, and the other 20 were yeah. just, you yeah. know, shells sitting on chassis with Prob- wheels. Probably so. So, you know, well, and it's like anything, you know, the, there's always a way around. There's a different yeah. way to skin a cat, right. you know, as they like to say in the South. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting to see you, you hit on something a minute ago about electric cars on the manufacturers oh, yeah. going to electric cars. And, and I'm, you know, not completely opposed to electric cars. I think that there may be a place in our world for electric cars if people makes them feel good. But to say that everybody's going to go to that, how is that even, I don't think that's possible. And then what do you do with race cars? Are they going to be electric cars too? What's your take on any of this? Well, on the, on the race cars, we were kind of getting into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've tried to watch Formula E. Right. And, yeah, and, and the thing that's interesting about electric cars, you know, they have a hundred percent torque, you know, at the get go. Yeah. So, and you know, the famous Jay Leno thing, you know, where the old lady in the, right. in the electric car and he's in the 427 cover and she blows his doors <laughs> off. Well, you know, I mean, so the performance of those cars is, is theoretically so far superior. Sure. But. You know, I sit there and I watch it with it. It's like I turn the sound off. I know, I and know. That's sound, the way I feel. Sound is so important. It's to so racing. important. It's like when I tell guys about cars that we have here. Color and stance are very important. Yeah. You know, it's those things that you you don't think. Oh, how important is that? It's very important. I remember I went to an Indy car race one time, and they all sounded like chainsaws when they were running. I this would have been two thousand four or five or six or somewhere in there, and it wasn't even any fun because the sound, the visceral part, you know, the sound part of it was wasn't great. That's what people don't realize about drag racing. You know, people look down their nose at me when I talk about drag racing until you go to a drag race yeah. and you go, the thunder of that thing oh, I, is unbelievable. Went, just seven miles from here, we have one of the I, greatest I, tracks. I, I went to Maple Grove for <laughs> one of my clients was Intersys. Uh, uh, they make Odyssey batteries. Right. And uh, I went over there and, and shot some race, uh, shot one event for them. And uh, I'll tell you something. Honestly, I, I couldn't go back. No, it's it, – it, it it was literally when the fuelers went off. It was like somebody had taken a hand grenade and mm-hmm. dropped it right in front of you, and yeah, it went off. Exactly. I mean the and I've got AFib or right. I had AFib. Right. And I said, man, I got to get out of here. Yeah. I'm going to go into <laughs> AFib again. Yeah, not a good thing to do when you're uh, going racing. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, we didn't get to our four on the floor this week, but we'll try to get to it quickly here. Um, it's uh, our 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 trivia contest on based on cars that are actually here, and we had a winner from last week, by the way, Steve. So uh, just so you know, uh, we awesome. had the winner last week was a gentleman out of Georgia, I believe, or Mustang Garage is his name, and he guessed the 1962 Studebaker Daytona Lark. Uh, this year's four clues for four on the floor. You guess which car you're making, model, and stock number in our inventory, and we'll send you a hat or a T-shirt. Uh, clue number one, X causing trouble, the letter, the letter X causing trouble. Number two, fictional road hero. Number three, 
Go, Go, Go. And number four, end of the same year, Elvis wore leather. Oh, gosh. Okay. okay. I like that. So, uh, by the way, next week's guest is going to be um, 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 Kendra. Kendra Cook. <laughs> yeah, from the Boyertown Historic Museum. And uh, what a delight to have Harry Hurst here today. Harry, thank you so much for being on the show. And oh, thank you for, for asking. Let's me. do it again because we've got Not plenty anytime. to talk about. Hey, I'm, I'm certain. 20 minutes down the road. <laughs> we'll be calling on you soon, I'm certain. Take it away, Steve. <laughs> We appreciate you listening to our show. And don't forget, when you're in southeastern Pennsylvania, come visit us in person. We're open Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Wednesday is our late day, and we're here from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Saturdays, we're open from 9 to noon, and we're closed on Sundays. You can reach us by telephone at 888-227-0914 or via email at info at classicautomall.com. To reach the show, email us at podcast at classicautomall.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.